Just so you know, this is the start of the preaching. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint your words today. Not just my words, your words, Lord. I believe these words are chosen by you. I believe, Lord, that you're going to give us a direction by your Holy Spirit as we speak truth that will bless the hearts and minds and lives of people. Because it has no value unless it does. And I believe, Lord, that you're going to do that today. And I give you glory for it already with expectation, faith, and certainty that you're moving today in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe one of the greatest men of the Old Testament is the prophet Elijah. I've admired him and followed him for many years. In fact, over the years of my preaching, I have preached about him many times. In fact, not long ago, I brought to you some thoughts about Elijah and some of the things that happened to him that I think are really pertinent and parallel to our lives today. So who was this man, Elijah? He was a prophet of God who appeared one day as though he had just come into existence. There's no record of him before the 17th chapter of 1 Kings. And if you want to follow everything I'll be talking about this morning, it's all, virtually all, in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. I won't give you every verse as I go along. But you'll find the whole thing in every detail in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. In the beginning of the 17th chapter, Elijah suddenly appears, and little is told about him. He was Elijah, a man of Tish, so he was Elijah the Tishbite. And he was a prophet ordained of God and called of God. When he came on the scene in Israel, he announced to King Ahab, a wicked, godless king of Israel. Elijah, a righteous servant of God, came and appeared to him and said, as the judgment of God, there will be no rain in Israel except at my word. Until I say so, in other words, it will not rain again. And that happened. The rain stopped. The lands began to dry up. Elijah was under great pressure because Ahab wanted to find him to get that pronouncement, that edict proclaimed over Israel reversed and get the rain restored. But he couldn't find him because God hid him. And Elijah, in obedience to God, stayed hidden until the Lord told him to move to a different place. He was under the protecting hand of God and never had a doubt or a fear about it. And then God told him to leave the place where he had sent him, over by the brook Kirith. Elijah did as God told him. He said, go to the home of a Shunammite widow. Shunammite was her designation of tribe and location. She was a Gentile woman. God sent his servant to her. He said, when you get there, she'll give you food. When he got there, he found out the widow had no food, just enough for son and eat. One more meal, and then they had nothing left and no provisions that ever had any expectation of receiving. They were going to eat their last meal and die. Elijah said, give me mine part first. And she did, in obedience of the Lord. And then a miracle occurred. The Bible says from that time on, her barrel was full of meal. Her cruise was full of oil. She had food in supply, in other words. And all that she needed from that time on, it was a miracle of God. 
Elijah stayed there with the family. Sometime after that, the son died. God gave Elijah a great miracle, brought the son back to life, and he gave her, him back to her, to his mother. And then the woman said, you are a mighty man of God, and it will always be known that you are. Another miracle. And then God told Elijah to go make an announcement to Ahab again. It's going to rain again. You need to get ready. There's a sound of abundance in the air. The abundant sound is rain coming forth. Before that time, he said the children of Israel need to be brought back to God. So he set up a plan. I ask you, Ahab, to bring all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and the 400 prophets who are also prophets of a godless, pagan plan, and bring those who sit at Jezebel's table to Mount Carmel also. Jezebel was the queen, Ahab's wife. The only person in the kingdom of Israel who was more wicked and more dangerous to the kingdom of God than Ahab was his wife Jezebel. You've heard the word Jezebel used a lot of times. Not necessarily in the scriptural context, maybe, but you heard people say, oh, she looks like a Jezebel. Maybe you don't know what that is. I'm not even sure I do. I know it's not important enough to tell you, so I'm going to move on. She was a wicked person, though, and she had the authority of kingship and the authority of her own royal position. So she ruled, and these 450 pagan priests uh, were her progeny, and they watched out for her and for her plans for the kingdom. So everything was really a godless move in Israel at that time. But Elijah was there as a righteous person. So he announced that the rain would return, but first we have to have a contest on Mount Carmel. So he had the contest with all those, all those false prophets and all those servants of Baal, the pagan god. And when he did, again, I'm, I'm not giving you detail on all of this because that's not the substance of my message, so I ask you to read it if you want to get all the details. But he had the contest on Mount Carmel, and in saying the prophets of Baal can call down fire, if Baal is the Lord God, if not, I will. So when they failed, Elijah called down in a prayer from God, show that you are the Lord. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And all the people of Israel fell down before him and said, the Lord is God. The Lord Jehovah, he is the true God. There was a movement of God in the land, of course, when all of that happened. And then he went and he went to the mountain and watched for the rain to come, and the rain came. Meanwhile, Ahab, disturbed and distressed by all the happenings that had gone on, upset because Elijah had such authority and power, and now it was a righteous move in the kingdom, contrary to his reign, and the reign of his wife, Queen Jezebel, he went to Jezebel and told her what Elijah had done. And he did not tell it in a good way, of course. He told her how all the prophets of Baal, after that contest on Mount Carmel, had been taken down into the valley and killed by the people. 
and the 400 prophets, in addition who were pagan prophets, were taken and killed with them. 850 of the leaders of paganism in the land were slaughtered. It was a different economy in those days. They treated things in a different way. So judgment fell. And now those great supporters of Ahab and Jezebel were gone, and Ahab comes and tells Jezebel about this. And she is infuriated. She is incensed beyond expression. And she says to Ahab, I will take care of this. So she called a messenger, and the messenger went and found Elijah. And she said in this message, this is a message from Queen Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. He knew all about her. And she said, by tomorrow at this time, I will do the same thing to you that you have done to the prophets of Baal and the other 400 prophets who ate at my table. You have killed them and slaughtered them. And by this time tomorrow, you can expect the same fate because I'm sending people to, to do the same thing to you that you've done to them. How would you like to have that sentence passed on you? Because you've done a great thing, because you followed the Lord, because you obeyed God, because you served Him, because you've done everything that you knew that pleased God, and then the word comes to you that the person who has great authority over you, not the authority expected to have, that he had over him from God, but all the world's political authority over him certainly was there in Queen Jezebel. And she said, I plan to see you slaughtered and dismembered. You're going to die just like those prophets died after what happened on Mount Carmel. So Elijah, now, I've said all that to bring you up to this point. Elijah, you already know, was a great servant of God. A strong, stalwart man of faith. A preacher of the true word of God. One who upheld the righteousness of God in all that he proclaimed. Obedient to God. And now, all these great things have happened. All these miracles that dot his life, that punctuate his life. All these miracles and mighty moves of God have happened. He was a man who lived almost daily in miracles. And now... He has a threat from the queen who says, by, in 24 hours, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead just like all those prophets are now dead that were killed in the valley. And this is what the Bible says about Elijah. This is the text for my message today. 1 Kings chapter 19. I don't know if you can quite see that or not, but that's the scripture. I can read it to you. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, he started finding a place to go, looking for a place to hide. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree or a broom tree, some translations give it. And he requested for himself that he might die. Now, he's already under a death sentence. That's not the kind of death he wants to die. He's asking God, let me die. I don't want to have to face this. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel of the Lord touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Now, Elijah 
when he is faced with the threat from the queen, which he knows is real, he knows she can do it, she knows he's, he knows she's going to make every effort to keep her word, she is going to try to kill him with all the authority she has in the kingdom, his life is in jeopardy. And Elijah, this great man of God that he was, this great miracle producer of God that he was, this great prophet of God's word, and he was, this man became afraid. And he, hid, he went and found a place and hid under a tree. Later on, he hid in a cave. And Elijah said, let me die. I don't want to face this. And so, my friends, I tell you today that there is not enough spirituality, there is not enough power in your life when the greatest threat the enemy ever brings against you, and he will, maybe he already has. If he hasn't, he will. Maybe you think he already has and it couldn't get any worse, but it may. But when that happens, you can take the course of becoming afraid and living in fear and causing yourself to die spiritually, whether you die physically or not. He was so desperate under the circumstances that he faced that he would rather die than deal with it. And that's a terrible situation to be in. A terrible condition where you arrive at the place that you would rather die than go and live. I don't think he was suicidal. He doesn't say anything about taking his own life. He's asking God, take me out of this. Get rid of me. Take me out of this, Lord. Take me to heaven. Any time in your life have you ever sat on the edge of the bed or on the arm of the chair or on the carpet on the floor and said, oh God, I'd rather die than be where I am right now. Just take me on to heaven, Lord. I'd rather die. I know. I know that there are some of you sitting right here in this congregation this morning who said that. You've been there. You've faced that. You may still be struggling with the depth that the enemy can pull you down into by the threats that he brings against you, by the charges that he declares against you, by those things that he pours upon you. The enemy wants to destroy you. Jezebel plan to destroy Elijah. And she was the epitome of the devil. And I will tell you today, the devil has one goal and one plan for your life to destroy your spirituality, to rob you of your salvation, to keep you away from the presence of God, to bring you down to the place that you cannot be effective for God. And he wants to bring you to that place by the weight of his own hand, by the destruction that he has own, of his own plan he wants to pull you down and bring you into the place of great loss and inability to go on with God. And he will, if you allow it. The first thing that happens is when that comes from the enemy is you become afraid. That's what happened to Elijah. He was fearful under the threat made by Jezebel. But I want to tell you, my friends, when you come to that place, when you come to that place that, the, that, that you're there because, you, because of disappointment. You've allowed yourself perhaps to be disappointed in the church, disappointed in fellow believers, 
But most of all, though you'd never frame it in those words, the truth of the matter is you're disappointed in the Lord. He hasn't come through for you just like you thought he should have or just when you thought he should have. And you think God has let you down. You don't say it. We don't say it. But how many of you have faced that situation? You may be facing it now. I'm going to tell you some answers to that. You can get disappointed in him. It will lead you to despondency. It will lead you to discouragement. And finally, if you stay there, if you don't overcome it in the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, it will take you to despair, to complete despair. And that is the last place you want to be. But some of us have faced that kind of desperate time, have come actually to despair. I thought God was going to answer prayer, but he didn't. I thought God would keep his promise, but he hasn't. I've done everything I know to do. I've prayed, I've read the Bible, I've talked to others, I've done everything I know to do to no avail, and I'm further down than I was before. God, why, why have you let this happen to me? And in the despair, because of illness, because of family, because of sorrow, because of loss, you said, God, why have you let me come to this point? And so Elijah moved to a cave, and then God came to him. And this is something that the Lord asks us oftentimes. He said to Elijah, why are you here? There's a lot that goes on in there. Please read those chapters. I can't tell you all about it, but lack of time to tell you details. There's a lot that went on. But God said to Elijah, why are you here? And listen, this is what Elijah said. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. I've looked after your name, Lord. I've lifted up your name. I've, I've protected your name. I've been jealous for you. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. The church has failed. Thrown down your altars. Killed your prophets with the sword. And this is the last thing he said. And I, even I, only I am left. And now they seek my life to take it. Everybody else has fallen away. Everybody else has turned aside. I have nobody to turn to. I have nobody to ask for help. They've all turned away. I'm the only one left, Lord. Have you ever felt that solitude? I, even I, only am left. Nobody knows where I am. Nobody knows about me. Nobody understands. And nobody else has the interest in me. Nobody has the spiritual perception. Nobody has the burden for me. Nobody cares. I'm all alone. I'm left alone. God, why don't you just take me, take me on to heaven and get me out of this. I'm ready to give myself up. I don't want to live this life anymore. That's despair. That's despair. A desperate despair. Fear, 
disappointment, despondency, and despair. That's where it brings you. The Bible says in James chapter 5, 17, that Elijah is a man just like we are. The same kind of man we are. He said, he is a man subject to like passions. Here's what it says. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. There's the same feelings we have. He prayed earnestly. It might not rain. It didn't rain. He was a great man of prayer. He was also a great man of weakness, as we see right here. Just as a man. Just like a human being. Just like you. Women, men. Just like us. Elijah was just like we are. If Elijah were to come in here, the only way you'd recognize him, by the way, would be by the way he was dressed. Well, you might not even notice that today. In this, <laughs> He's just, He would look just like us. Just another person. And so I'm telling you that what he faced can be faced by anybody. What he dealt with can be dealt with by anybody. We can all come to the place that Elijah did. A great man of God. Doesn't mean he wasn't a faithful man of God. It means that the devil found him in a weak moment, infested him with fear, and pulled him down till he was in despair. And he can do that to you if you don't have your guard up, if you're not at all times ready to face the attack of the enemy, at all times ready to rebuke the onslaught that he brings against you, and he will. But you cannot let it pull you down into loss and despair and out of victory. You have to stay in faith and not fear and continue to hold on and believe God. This was God's answer to Elijah. I'm the only one left out of all of those. Lord, even after Mount Carmel, all have deserted you and left. I'm all alone. I'm the only one left. This is what God said. Verse 18 of chapter 19. He said, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths or lips have not kissed him. I've got 7,000 faithful people, just as faithful as you are, Elijah, that you don't even know about. 7,000 who've never bowed to Baal. There's 14,000 knees that have never bowed to Baal. 7,000 of the faithful. There are 7,000 mouths, 14,000 lips that have never placed a kiss upon the idol Baal because they're faithful to Jehovah God. You're not the only one, Elijah. They're all facing trials. They've all come through the attack of Ahab and Jezebel. They've all faced the godlessness and the paganism that this kingdom has sunk, in, sunk into. But they have stayed faithful to my name. 7,000 faithful. And my friend, I want to tell you right now, whatever the devil has made you believe about your spiritual loneliness and your isolation, I want to tell you that he's lying there are faithful people right now all around you. There are faithful people who love God. There are faithful people who trust God. There are faithful people who pray. There are faithful people who believe God. There are faithful people who are anointed of God, holding on to Him, claiming victory, standing up for His glory. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. There are other people all around us giving glory to the name of God and honor to Him. You're not alone. You're not alone. And you will not be on this side of glory or on the other side either. There's
there's always somebody serving God who'll link arms with you and stand with you and hold on to God with you and for you when you open yourself to that. Elijah said, I'm the only one that he believed he was. God said, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 more. You know, it's not a, it's not a hard thing to become discouraged. I, I sometimes wonder the Apostle Paul. have held on the way he did. I'm going to read you a scripture about Paul. And, and before I read this scripture about that in which Paul is speaking and saying, I want to just remind you, there was a time, now Paul had seen miracles. He had been delivered. His life had been saved by the intervention of God's power. Wonderful things God had done. But then he came to a time when he had a thorn in his flesh. He doesn't identify that affliction. A lot of speculation about it, but he doesn't identify it. He just calls it a thorn in his flesh. He prayed for God to set him free, to deliver him. You know what the Lord told him. He said, no, that's not my plan for you, Paul. What I want you to understand is, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. This is not anything against healing. We still believe divine healing. But God has a will and plan of his own. And for Paul, it was not to heal that thorn in the flesh. But he said, my grace, listen, friend, in every circumstance, under every threat, under Jezebel's accusations, under Ahab's lies, under the devil's attack, this is always true. It's always true. It's always true. What God said to Paul and he repeated in the Word is exactly what God says to us. Whatever you're facing, whatever the trial is, whatever the undercurrent of the devil is, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need. I'll give you grace, and that's all you need for victory if you trust me. If you believe it, that's all you need. This is what Paul said. Yeah, there's a lot to say before. This is, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, at verse 23. He said, I face daily the pressure of my concern. Who is weak, who, not, who does not feel weak? Let me, let me back up a little bit, because I think I need to start before that. This is what I want to say. He said, I have been in prison. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death time and again. And then he goes on to list these things. Second Corinthians eleven twenty four. he said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. And the law allowed them to give 40 lashes to a malefactor or criminal. They only gave them 39 to show their mercy. 39 lashes is enough to kill a lot of people. That happened to Paul five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. They got sticks and came out and beat him with rods. Once they beat him, maybe more, but at least once we know of, because it's recorded in the Scripture, they, almost, they left him for dead after they'd beaten him. And God raised him up. Once I was pelted with stones. That was a death sentence. They'd kill people with stones. He was pelted with stones, but God spared him. Three times he was shipwrecked. 
He said, I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the kingdom. And so, my friends, don't think that you have it more difficult than anybody else. I'm telling you, God brought him through that and brought him out in victory so that when it was all over and Paul came to the last point of his life, there's other things I could tell you that Paul, Paul had, a, had a reason to be discouraged so much, so full of interest. But then he came to the final part. And after all of this, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I stayed faithful. And through all of this, I stayed faithful. And because I stayed faithful, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But listen, for all of us are going through all of this. All of us are facing the trial of Elijah. All of us are close to the bottom. He says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all those who continue to love his appearing. Hallelujah. 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 The victory is yours. The victory is mine. The victory is the child of God's. The victory belongs to the believer, to the faithful, to those who stand and will not wilt, who will not fall in the pressure of the enemy's attack. The victory belongs to us. There's an old, old song. You may have heard it. If you did, you heard it on the internet or on YouTube or somewhere. The title of it is, When He Reached Down His Hand for Me. I heard it so many years ago and learned it. There's one verse in it that says, I think it's the second one, that says, I was near to despair when he came to me there. And he told me that I could be free. Then he lifted my soul out of Satan's dark stand when he reached out his hand for me. And so he will set you free. He will lift your soul out of Satan's dark snare. He will liberate you and give you victory because that is the crown of the children of God. That is the glory of the child of God. He will give you in any and all circumstances in every trial. He will give you victory. Victory! Victory! You don't have to be down. God wants to lift you up. You don't have to lose. God wants you to have the victory. You don't have to be conquered because God wants you to be the conqueror. Hallelujah. And so that's here for the child of God. Everybody who believes that, stand up with me right now. I know you do. I know you do. 
Stand up and claim it. Even as you're standing right now, claim it from the Lord. God, help me in everything, in all things, O Lord. Hear me as I cry to you, O God. Bring me through it all. Bring me through it all. Even if you're not in the midst of it right now, pray that when that attack comes from the enemy, you'll be ready for it and face it with faith and not with fear and expect victory and not defeat. Because that's what God has planned for us. That's what God's, God's intention for us. Hallelujah. I believe that, don't you? One of Elijah's main problems was he just got caught up in himself. I, even I only, win. We don't want to get caught up in ourselves or anything. We want to be caught up in Jesus. We want to be caught up in Him, wrapped up in Him, enfolded by Him. Say right where He is in His presence in our lives. That's the victory that He gives us. You believe that? You believe that's for us? You believe that's for us? Amen. Hallelujah. While we sing this song, I don't know what it is, but we're going to sing it right now, whatever it is. <laughs>